what I tell people is if they're interested in an idea, to become highly conscious of, of the things they can't shake. If you can't figure out what you're all obsessed about, your mission just becomes a set of words that you're trying to adhere to, but it's like, it's like glue that's no longer sticky. We look for people who will, who will not only want to talk to the customer, but will not silo that from the rest of the organization. We believe so much that the world was gonna change, we just kept doing it. It's almost like riding a bike. You have to like constantly pedal and pedal that entrepreneurial sort of mission if you're gonna keep that alive in bigger companies. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Corn Ferry's Goliath Meet David podcast. I'm your host, John Palumbo, and I'm here with my co-host, Cynthia Stuckey from Corn Ferry. Hi, Cynthia. Hi, John. Now, we created this podcast for all you executives out there, especially those Goliaths, those of you from big enterprise companies who are interested in learning how those Davids, those leaner, more nimble startups and their founders operate, since they've found ways to do things like just create cultures that we all admire, even convey their missions across their organizations and beyond, get closer to their customers, and even foster an entrepreneurial spirit. I mean, there, there's just a lot to admire and learn from these Davids, which is probably why there's so many, so much information out there. But, but the thing is about that information that you, that you find, those books, those articles, those blogs is they tend to bombard you with bullet points or headlines about what you can do to quote-unquote act like a startup. And while that's all well and good, we wanted to do things a little bit differently. We wanted to speak directly to startup founders and executives and ask them the questions that Goliaths really care about. In fact, a lot of the questions that we're going to be asking were submitted to us by Goliaths. So you're going to get the information that you really want. Um, so, so today for for this episode, our David is Dave Balter. So okay, he really is a David. Um, hi, Dave. Thanks for being here. Hi, John. Hey, Cynthia. Thanks for having me. Now, now, Dave is a managing partner at Flipside Crypto. Be sure to visit um, flipsidecrypto.com and a venture partner at Boston Seed Capital. He he was also the founder and CEO of companies such as Smarterer and and Buzz Agent. And what we're going to do is, Cynthia and I are going to ask Dave a bunch of questions about his company's best practices and strategies across all different areas that Goliaths are really interested in learning. Um, okay, so so let's get started. So Dave, uh, I think a good way to kick things off would be for you to tell us a bit about your company and your background. Sure. Um... So I currently run a company called Flipside Crypto. Uh, we are in the business of helping evaluate cryptocurrency projects. Uh, so we use data from uh, open blockchain repositories and open source code repositories, and we create rating models for uh, crypto assets. Um, previous to that, uh, I ran a company called Smarter, which was a machine learning skills assessments business. Um, we sold that in 2014 to Pluralsight. And before that, I ran a company for about a decade called Buzz Agent, which was a social media marketing business, um, pri primordial social marketing business, <laughs> as we like to call it. Uh, uh, we sold that in 2010 to Tesco. And I think, I think it's always inspiring and, and interesting to learn you know, how, how startups were started. So maybe you could tell us, 
How'd you come up with the idea for your current company? Maybe even others, uh, you know, some of the others that you started. If you want to discuss those, yeah. So, so I'll, I'll walk through. I'll walk through them really quick. Sure. The, the 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 thing I always start with is I I have a I consider it almost an issue where where it's hard to explain to others. I see an idea, um, I I can't shake it in a way. It's almost <laughs> like there's there's worldly dissonance happening. I. <laughs> Everyone I talk to, I hear something that reminds me of that idea. I'm like out walking around and it's like in my ear. It's like a buzzing noise and I can't get rid of it. And so what I often tell people is, I don't know if that's that's either I've honed in on something or unique to me. But what I tell people is if they're interested in an idea to become highly conscious of of the things they can't shake. Um, you know, sometimes people get yeah. they get uncomfortable with trying to start something new and they they'll they'll not be able to shake something, but they'll, they'll figure out a way to get rid of it. Let it, let it flow in. Maybe, maybe, maybe you need some of that dissonance. So, um, so that, that always happens to me in all my companies, but, um, uh, I'll sort of go, go uh, back to front buzz agent. Um, I had a, a, like a total light bulb moment one day where I was like, geez, if we could get real people to talk about products and services, I had some direct marketing experience. I literally, uh, did a web search for URLs that sounded buzzy and the only one available was buzz agent. Uh, and then everything started falling into place. I had a guy, I said, buzz agent. And he said, Oh my God. And he gave me a logo. He ha- he's like, I've been waiting 10 years to use this logo. That was our <laughs> logo. Like everything was just happened. Um, so that one, that one, um, was, was just organic and started to roll. I did, I will say in the middle of that one, my family held an intervention and tried to get me to stop building the company, but we can, we can, yeah, that, so that maybe it wasn't that easy conversation for another day. Yeah. Yeah. It's another day. Anyway, um, uh, smarter was what came out of frustration. I, I would be interviewing candidates for roles. I didn't, um, I, I I couldn't speak to. So I, the, the, the one that really triggered me was I was interviewing a data science candidate and they're telling me about R and, you know, algorithms. And I'm like, I don't, I don't even know what to ask you. Like I can tell talk to you about a, being a person, but like, can you just tell me if you're good? <laughs> and they'd all, they'd all say things like I'm exceptional at X, Y, or Z and I needed a way to prove it. And so I began building a tool. I just, this was one of those, I couldn't stop thinking about it. Every resume I saw, I'm like, what do you mean you're exceptional at Excel? I, I don't know what that means. Like help me. <laughs> mm. Right. And so we started building technology to solve that problem. Um, flip side, flip side was probably the most organic. Uh, we were actually running a different startup, uh, a startup in the, in the memorial space, the death space of all, of all industries and, um, began trading crypto on the side. Um, knew someone who had an algorithm to help us trade better. We brought him in and we began trading at night. And the, the trigger for me was the head of product at Milestone one night uh, sort of knocked on the conference room window and, and said, um, can, can, can I come in? And we're in there like trading crypto. Yeah, come on in. And he <laughs> said, hey, you know, you guys, it, it feels like you've joined a different tribe. <laughs> And, and, and we're like, what? No, what are you talking about? And he left. And then we like looked at each other and we're like, oh gosh, we got a problem here. Um, and that we, we eventually wound down that company and began building this one. So, um, that dissonance was like, it was happening to us and we couldn't control it. And we just took advantage of it and, and, and ran with it. So, so, so yeah. let's, let's, let's talk about, um, culture. Now, a lot, a lot of the, a lot of the Goliaths that are listening to this know that it, it can be easy to let culture slip 
as a company gets bigger and bigger. In fact, if you have multiple locations, each one sometimes takes on its own culture and sometimes no culture ends up being the culture because no one is communicating or nurturing it. So employees end up basically creating their own. Maybe you could talk a little bit about what culture means to you and your company's culture and how that, how you cultivate and maintain, maintain it at, at your company. Yeah. Um, so this is, this has definitely been an evolution for me early, early in my career. Um, culture was driven largely by, um, a theme that I, I'd, I'd sort of realized early. It's called sponge and stone. Um, I realized early in my career that I was definitely not the smartest person in the room. Um, like I would like look at, you know, I'd walk into a room of an executive or a great, what I considered a great CEO. And I'd be like, they're like, they're, they're a scientist or they're, they're brilliant. They're, you know, everyone looks up to Mark Zuckerberg or some, you know, Warren Buffett, like, Oh my gosh, I'm not that. Okay. So I came up with this philosophy of sponge and stone, which is, um, you can sponge anything. And, and that comes from reading everything you can about a subject, talking to all the experts, uh, you know, like, like finding mentors and, and pretty quickly, if you sponge well enough, you become the expert. Okay. So, so in the case of a word of mouth company, like I didn't know anything, I read Malcolm Gladwell's books and then met Seth Godin and I did all these things. And suddenly people were like, Oh, you know more about word of mouth than anybody. I'm like, I, all I did is sponge it. So that was one. And then two was stone, which is because I wasn't the smartest person in the room. The only way to succeed was to work harder than everybody else. Okay. So I would just work circles around everybody. I would, I would be doing as much as possible at all times. And so that culture became evident in the people I'd hire and the people who succeeded or the people who didn't. Okay. Now that, that had a lot of benefits because our teams tended to get, become experts really quick and work incredibly hard. The downside, as you can imagine, is, um, you can burn out pretty quickly on stuff like that. Uh, especially on the stone side, you, you just become, you know, relentless about just working. Um, so that's evolved. And I would, I still stand by sponge and stone. Like even in this space, I'm, I'm not the smartest person in cryptocurrency by far. Um, but I know how to apply what I know incredibly well. Okay. Um, so, so, yeah, yeah. so Dave, what would be some of those uh, recommendations or things other companies could do then to create and foster a startup culture like you're describing? Yeah. So, so what happened as we were growing buzz agent is the sponge and stone thing worked for, let's call it uh, two years. Um, and then it got, it got hard to maintain an energy and a culture that felt like a startup. We were growing past 30, 40, 50 people. And so I started doing things to try to bring in more, um, what I consider creative energy in the business. One thing we did was we brought an artist in residence in this guy, Seth Minkin, uh, who was a painter. Uh, I went to, ended up, I, had a, I went to college with him and saw him at Tufts. He got his master's, thought he was amazing. And so, Hey, come, come paint in our office. And it began literally like he would find an open desk and he would just like be painting a painting while everyone else was doing their, their work. And that would create this whole like cultural dissonance and like, Hey, creativity is cool within the art, within the workplace. And, and then one, some days people would like randomly start painting with him that we always found fun. And it got, that was really cool. So we did that for about a decade. It got bigger and bigger. And he then had this whole like central platform and he was up there painting almost on show all day. So that was one. 
The other was um, to open uh, the doors to um, a comfortableness to to ask the unaskable questions. We found over time companies um, begin to sort of insulate in a way, um, and and you and employees, you know, I'd I'd walk in the office and I could see like employee some employees like oh my gosh like I don't like, oh, I better do something, look busy, because Dave's here. And I'm like, I, what, what do you, you know, or people would like get awkward in a conversation with me. So I had this thing called anonymous questions, which is you can write an anonymous question, put it in a box, and I will get up in front of the company and I will pull random questions and ask them and I will answer them, okay? And that was interesting. People, um, there was a lot that was like, why doesn't our 401k have a match like X? And I'd answer it, this, hey, here's the reality. This is why we do X and there'd be debate. Um, there are also ones like, why do the forks only have three prongs instead of four in the kitchen? Like, but that, but that became evident of the culture. Everyone would laugh, like you guys, everyone would laugh about it and it was funny and then, you know, et cetera. But, but it got, it got pretty deep. What do you think about, uh, in office relationships? Ooh, okay. Uh, let's talk about this is, you know, is there something we should be talking about? So you got to do, you got to do things to try to bring the spirit back into the company and, um, I think every every org as it grows has to be attuned to what are the things that you really need and are missing if it's creativity, if it's openness, and you try to try to bring something in to to bring that back. That, that's great advice, Dave. And as I think about kind of the suggestions, tell me a little bit about how you plan to kind of maintain as you even grow bigger in your current business, especially with all the customer needs and market pressure shifts. So. The culture right now is sort of evident by just us like trying to get we're, we're so overwhelmed with everything we're doing. We're just like we're almost running ahead of the culture and that becomes the culture <laughs> like everybody gets each other and tries to like solve my my co-founder, which I love, uh, came up with this thing. We're all clients for each other. And, and I really like that. Like, like, it's not like you do X or you do Y and we're just going to do it. But like, oh, I need help doing X. I'm your client. Like, like you're my client. Like, okay, we're going to work together. So, and that, that's how we work. Okay. Now over time, we know that will start to tear apart. New people come in the company, ways of behaving. And so what we actually have done here, and we've learned this over many companies is early on, we began thinking about, well, what are our values as a company? People talk about values all the time and, and we couldn't like, we could, we did the classic thing. Okay. Let's, um, let's write them down. Hey, what do you think? Oh, we're, we set out to achieve or, you know, whatever the, the words are. What we did instead was we said, okay, everybody has their own, um, style guide. Okay. So let's do this. Let's have everybody write out their style guide. What are you to work with? So I never like to work in the mornings or I tend to be grumpy when you talk about numbers or um, anything like I'm a dog lover. Who am I? Okay. And so everyone wrote their personal style guide. We put it into a, into a master doc. And then every few months we go through the style guide with each other a little bit like, Hey, what's, what's happening here? You're, Oh, you're like this. You're like this. And it started to form who we were as a company. Like we, we literally came out of it. All of a sudden these words popped up across all of us. And now we had this set of words. Now from that, we begin building. We now have all sort of oddly agreed on everything we are. And now every time we see ourselves behaving in a way that doesn't exist within that, we have the discussion and we think about what is it we need to be doing to continue to adapt to it. Right. So I always like to begin with culture comes from the people, build the style guide, 
let the people build the guide. Your values will come from it and then pay attention to what may be happening when you're getting away from it. Great. Thank you for that. Great advice. Um, let's talk a little bit about mission. You know, we've learned a lot that big firms um, have missions, but nearly or almost many of the CEOs haven't been the ones that created it. And it's simply because they're just longstanding firms and they've out, uh, you know, outlived their original founders. So the mission is often one the CEOs inherited. And this legacy mission, often they are the ones that need to be able to communicate this corporate mission effectively with modern channels and be able to communicate directly to corporate employees. Unfortunately, what we found, though, is many of the surveys show that executives of these big firms find that many of them think their companies lack this cohesive vision for the future. Kind of, in other words, CEOs are just not really doing a great job of communicating the firm's vision and mission. And then there are the Davids, right? Studies show that startups like yourself and others flourish, and they have founders and CEOs who are very mission-driven, can rally the workforce to join that mission. With that in mind, how do, how do you go about rallying the troops, whether it's in your current business or one of the many that you've started up? And, 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 and how do you create kind of this dedication to the passion and mission for yourself and your employees? Yeah, mission, mission's a, a, a tough thing. And I, I find that, I say that, I say that with truth because you're, you know, you have, there's two, maybe there's two types of missions in businesses. I find there are the ones where you aren't really sure what you're trying to do and you create a mission in order to almost get people to, to, to sort of try to rally around something. And then there's the mission that is like so obvious because everyone, everyone just showed up to solve this problem. The mission is almost, a, it's, it, it's you're being pulled by it okay so so the so the net is like in the first case like i've had companies where we it, the one in the memorial space for example we 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 were to like trying to figure out how to better memorialize the deceased and we were like we kind of liked the idea but we couldn't rally around anything specific and so we like came up with a mission and then we found like every few months it just sort of like we, oh yeah what hey what are we uh what are we trying to do? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're trying to do that. Okay. And it mm -hmm. felt like this thing we were like grasping at <laughs> in the, in this business today, Flipside Crypto, like we, we were so frustrated that we, that you couldn't understand crypto. Like I can't, I don't even understand these things. And I'm, I'm in the industry and you guys are like talking about cryptocurrencies, like, like, like price. I, what is this thing? Okay. We are so driven by that. The mission was obvious. We want to demystify and, and characterize cryptocurrencies for the world, like period. Okay. And, and we don't even have to like, think about that. That just is happening to us every day. Okay. And so I, I would say like, like, the thing I, the, the, the latter one's easy. If, if, if you're pulled by it, everybody you hire is, is there because of it. And when you talk to them, either they're obsessed about that same thing or they don't belong in your company. It's the former one that's really dangerous because if you can't figure out what you're all obsessed about, your mission just becomes a set of words that you're trying to adhere to, but it's like, it's like glue that's no longer sticky. So um, I, I, I haven't figured out how to solve the first one. I don't know if it's changed the business, pivot, adjust, to, you know, hire different people. But um, you got to be really careful if that if that's the way your company is running, where that mission keeps sort of frittering and falling apart. 
So, so with that in mind, if you think about those different kinds of missions and purpose, do you find it in, how do you go about keeping people committed to it during turbulent times and how has that benefited your performance? Yeah. So that's, that's a, that's a great one because every company, even if the mission is strong, goes through ups and downs. That's part of, that's just part of how businesses work. So, um, I'll give you, I'll give you an example. It's smarter, um, we actually, you know, changed the focus of the business. We, we had the scoring methodology and we would at times try to apply it to recruiting. Oh, if you could just know that this person was exceptional, you know, rated higher than everybody else at, at, at Python versus this person. And then at times we would apply it to, to education. Okay. You're, you're trying to, you're trying to figure out what courses do I need to learn? And so, Ooh, I could take this little test and I could figure out where I am in my learning journey. And now I could, okay. We kept going back and forth and you can imagine what that does to a mission or, or is our mission to service educators? Is it the service recruiters? What, <laughs> what are we? Okay. And that, that was baffling. I mean, the teams, we would have like all out debates in company meetings where they'd be like, but last month, we were doing this and you'd be like, oh, but we just signed X. So now we're going to do this. Okay. That that was, I think, looking back where I could make it into a, oh, that's a natural, beautiful thing that like how businesses evolve. The truth is in the moment, um, it was probably one of the most painful things we'd been through. Like we, we got lost all the time. And so the thing we did to try to solve it was every time we would have have this evolution, we'd sit down and talk about the why and, and, and try to rally around that. Um, I feel like you only have, you know, a half a dozen chances to do that in, in certain periods of time before people stop believing why you're changing. And so, um, what I'd learned post doing that was, mission, your, your business will evolve. You need to create and sustain a mission that can evolve with the business, right? So in this business to demystify and characterize the world's cryptocurrencies, I can, that can be applied in lots of ways. It's big enough that we could be selling it to projects or selling it to investors. That's what you need to stand by so that you can continue to exist outside of that. You struck something about needing to evolve the mission over time and in the fact that you only have a couple of chances to do this. Um, did you see it changing your people's productivity, their engagement, retention? Yeah. The, 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 yes. So the easy answer is when the mission is unclear and people aren't sure what they're doing, uh, they will begin to uh, exhibit that in ways where, where they're sort of, it's almost like a, I consider it the softening. They sort of, they're still working hard, but they're like their energy and their application of it becomes sort of squishy. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I, and I, I now can hear it happen. There's almost this, like, um, you can hear the air sort of coming out of the room and I'll hear it from employees. They'll say things like, you know, I, I was working on this thing and I was, I was just trying to think about like, is this the right thing for me to be working on? And you're mm -hmm. going, you're going, is that a role thing? Or is that, wait a second, I think that's a mission. Like, do you mean right thing because you're not sure why it's helping the company? Yeah, I, I think, yeah, what, how's this apply? Okay, we've got a mission problem, right? Mm. right. Uh, and so, so I constantly now listen for these little things or I'll, I'll see someone like what, like this week, a guy showed up and 
he's like the mo- he's like I call him the Labrador because he like he's so happy all the time, you know, and I like, love his ears. He's so so like happy go lucky. He was like kind of bummed out one morning. I'm like, what's with what's with this guy? And so I pulled him in at the end of the day. I'm like, what's up, man? Like, you all right? You know, he's like, I had a late night. I got in late on the plane, and then I started digging a bit. And he's like, yeah, I'm, I think I'm doing this content stuff, but like I don't understand the business right now. And that is like that is like a strike down, like lightning bolt is in the business. Like, Hey, this week we probably need to get everyone together and be like, what are we doing? Like, are we all still feel we're applying it the right way? You got to like, your ears have to be attuned to that, to, to slow that down, pull it out of people. Cause they won't say it right away. You got to like talk to them about it. And when you start hearing that, you get everybody in and you say, Hey, let's talk about what we're doing and why we're doing it. Yeah. And that's, and that's great advice. And it kind of, you know, I'm wondering what advice, what advice would you give to a CEO to, to help her or him better communicate their mission and create that dedication, that passion among employees? Yeah. So constantly reiterate it. It's your job to, to mm-hmm. bring that up. Um, so I often, you know, like bring it up in meetings like, Hey, oh, that fits with our mission, you know, or, you know, put it on a, put it on a little, you know, doesn't have to be beautiful or anything put it on the wall behind you right like give them give them reminders right. and and people people often see the symbol in in the thing they're doing like like you don't have to like push it in their face oh right. it's on the wall and yeah wait well, yeah, i'm doing this they look up they see it hey hey that that's right that's why i'm doing this um you know i think find examples that support the mission and call them out so you know in a company meeting hey you did it you know X did a great job building this part of the business. And hey, you know, that just gets us one step closer to fulfilling the mission of X. Um, and and that you just it's like a it's like you, the breadcrumbs need to keep keep being placed. And eventually people start saying it to each other. So let's let's shift gears, and talk a little bit about collaboration and partnership. So we so we all we all know that collaborating, partnering with, with outside firms can, can benefit our company in, in, in a lot of ways. I mean, it can help us get things done more quickly. It allows us to outsource some responsibilities, you know, which can end up being cost efficient for the company and so on. Now, a lot of Goliaths sometimes hesitate when it comes to collaborating and partnering with, with outside companies. I mean, I think their hesitation might stem from, it might be confidentiality, maybe just because they have a hard time relinquishing control. They don't, you know, and they don't, might not want to trust the other company or, or they don't trust that the other company could even do as good of a job as them. A, a few questions here. You know, how does, how does your company approach collaborating and partnering with, with outside companies? When and why do you do it? And are you ever hesitant like those Goliaths? And how do you overcome that hesitation? So multi-pronged question. Yeah. So, um, look, no company is a silo. Let's begin with that. Uh, Companies succeed by building relationships with, you know, inside out, you know, themselves, employees out to the the places in the market where they need to to create whatever value they're going to create. So, like, you can't you can't you can't run a business without touching other companies. So that let's start there. the 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 first layer I always come to in this external companies is competition, um, and I I have a big I have a big belief that like your competitors are you know are probably in some ways your best friends and in some ways your enemies and that you know classic frenemy concept but you should never ever exclude building a relationship with a competitor early in your business. And this is super important. People in my companies now know like, oh, we see there's another rating agency in cryptocurrencies that we know of. And I just reached out to the guy a month ago and was like, hey, 
you guys are building X, we're building Y. We should get together. That person was super friendly. Yeah, let's get, wow, okay, let's get, that's amazing you'd reach out, get together. Turns out we have some similar visions, different visions, but you know what? We're now in sort of cahoots on how does the industry evolve and build, right? I could, if, if I had an issue, I could now call him and say, hey, 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 what's going on here? Or et cetera. So like, I always build those relationships and there's always rising tides. But beyond that, every business is going to evolve and that competitor may become your acquirer at some point. They may become, you may acquire them, who knows, but like start there, okay? Second to that is you have to determine what you're trying to do in your company. In our company, we're trying to distribute our rating system. And so um, as an example, I reached out to the street and stock twits and market watch and began building the relationship with them. Now there's, there's, there's the, there's the type of person who would call them and say, I don't want, you know, I don't want to tell you really what we're doing because maybe you'll copy it or geez, you know, everything I'm going to tell you, I need to lock up under some crazy NDA before I get anywhere. I always find those like, those are patterns of resistance. Like I always start with like, look, I'm going to tell you, you're, we're about executing. So I'm going to tell you what we're doing. If you if you can do it better than us, go knock yourself out. But I, I don't think you can because we're going to execute. So I'm going to tell you, here's what we're doing. We'd like to do it together. Let's open the doors. At some point, you're right. Maybe we need an NDA or maybe we need to do X. But in the meantime, let's share this idea so broadly and wildly, it can actually breathe life into other organizations. And so... Like I, I, I had, like I've had a bunch of people show up and say like, Hey, I, you know, would you ever consider investing in my company? Maybe, I don't know. Can you sign an NDA? Like you, <laughs> right. you basically just put five hurdles in front of like anything I'd ever do. Just, you gotta, you gotta let it out. If, if you're, if you're good at what you do, you're going to do it better than anyone. So like, go have that conversation. So I, I, I'd like to kind of change um, change the area and talk a little bit about how some Goliaths are facing this challenge, Dave, of perceived distance. And in other words, teams or groups of people that ultimately are responsible for managing the customer input can become really distant, right, from the customer. Um, product management or marketing functions might work through the sales, who's really the front line talking the customer day in and day out. So they're hearing directly from the customer, but maybe the marketing or management group isn't. So they feel somewhat removed. On the flip side, we hear stories about David's organizations like yours you started where they stay really close to the customer and their audience. Can you tell us a little bit about how your company or any of the companies you've developed or your team members stay close to the customer um, and get that feedback firsthand? And why is it so important? How is it impacting your business? Yeah, I mean, look, companies, you know, companies at our stage in, in the in the startup phase, uh, you know, you constantly hear about sort of minimum viable product and, you know, customer led journeys. And like you, you we, we die if we don't find a problem a customer actually has and, and do something about it. Um, so so a couple things for us. Um, one is um, we we look for people who will who will not only want to talk to the customer but will not silo that from the rest of the organization um what i mean like, i'll give you an example here we had we had hired a product designer here and and the first thing we noticed was he wasn't really even talking to customers he was he was like building stuff and like, what do you think of this? And we're like, well, okay, we, I like it, but like what, you know, what, right. what is the cost? Oh, custom. Yeah. I'll, I'll mention it to a customer. All right. Well, so we eventually were like, why don't you, 
why don't you go talk to some customers? Great. Can you introduce me to some people that went out? Uh, and, and I remember saying to him, Hey, are you doing these customer calls with this stuff? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm doing, it. I'm like, well, can I sit in on one? He's like, no, 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 I'm going to do them and I'll, I'll give you some feedback later. And I remember right there, I was like, this guy's going to get fired like right away. <laughs> like <laughs> he, he lasted, he lasted about 45 days. Okay. And, and, and I remember that moment because I'm like, it had not, I really liked, he was so talented, but you are trying to, you were trying to re, like hold back from the company, what the customer every, he should be like every single person in this company who wants to sit on these calls, like, come on in, you like, listen in, right? Because you have to get everybody behind hearing what's actually happening. We've all heard this, this Henry Ford quote, if I'd asked my customers what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse. And, and there's a lot of, a lot of startups out there subscribe to that sentiment and believe that customer input can sometimes be limiting and, and there's and there's dangers of listening to customers too closely like the the tendency to only make incremental rather than really bold improvements that that and that would kind of leave the field open for competitors what's your stance on that yeah so um so this is really important so so um you know ran a company called buzz agent for 10 years the 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 first couple years uh, we had the idea i sort of got into the vision like what if we could get real people uh to try products and services share them with others this is in a pre-social age and then we had a way to sort of capture that data that was that was the idea um and so a couple things happened along the way one um was uh, we would go into um, what we would what we would typically do is go into a, a company that we wanted to pitch and we'd open with um, so have you ever recommended a product to somebody else and the person would say oh yeah yeah this pair of shoes I, I always tell people oh have you ever taken a recommendation from someone else yeah yeah and then we'd say what we do is we build scalable channels to do that okay um, early on uh, it took about a year for people to agree to that. It seems obvious now, like why wouldn't you want people to do that? But back then um, we were thrown out of ad agencies. Like I will never forget, I, I won't say the name, but one in Boston who literally after 10 minutes was like, no one wants to buy this, get out of here. And they sort of like shuffled us out. Now that was, that was, a, that was what I'd consider sort of like a rifle shot. We believe so much that the world was going to change. We just kept doing it. Um, I've had other businesses where, um, you know, like we, we, we sort of like get close to the customer. We keep trying and we're hammering on this idea and you, you can hear it's not, um, I don't like your idea or I don't believe in it. It's, I'm not really sure that's my problem. Mm. Right. And they don't kind of say it that obviously, but like you keep saying that's my problem and it's not my problem. Right. Um, and so, you know, we, we recommend like often it's like, it's like your ears have to be attuned to like, you can almost see it in people's faces. Like they kind of lighten up when it's really interesting to them and they kind of, they can say, Oh, that sounds really interesting, but you can like see it in their face, hear it in their voice. They're kind of, oh, maybe, maybe that's interesting. I'll call you later. So just be, you gotta be, you gotta have your ears tuned to like, is this really solving pain? Does this person really need this? Um, if you got something magical that's going to change the world, do that rifle shot, stick with it, overcome every objection. But for the most part, you got you got to really listen in on the like, when do people really have a pain that you can solve? So, so Dave, one of the things I think everyone admires about smaller, leaner, faster moving startups is the, is the entrepreneurial spirit 
that everyone seems to have. Of course, a lot of a lot of a lot of larger companies they want to instill that that spirit in their employees as well. So, what advice would you give to leadership at a at a big corporate company that wants to facilitate and and uh, you know an entrepreneurial culture? Right. So there's two two types, and I've I've spent some days in in quite large organizations. So I I find you know, I, I tend to do better in, I will tell you in, in like, you know, ride the rodeo, smaller type of organizations, right. but, but in big companies, I've seen this. And I think there's two types. There's the type that tries to, that says we have a working business and we need to build a entrepreneurial sort of, you know, sort of on the edge group. And, you know, we're going to call it the innovation sector, the, you know, entrepreneurship, you know, part of the business and and we're going to let it touch the rest of the company in certain ways and it's almost like they want it to be like a like a parasite i i've I, literally that's like how it's been talked about in some of the companies like yeah people will like they'll be able to like ask them questions and work on projects with them and it'll slowly like feed into the business and it'll become more entrepreneurial okay that can work um, but you need to the like osmosis between the two needs to be pretty pretty open okay you need to like let these two merge directly um it can be hard for a you know i always find in those types of of organization organizational constructs like that small group feels like they've you know they're they're like they're siloed off and they're trying to sort of beat their head against the the rest of the organization's resistance and that can be really tough to do you know it's funny a lot of a lot of organizations even put them in a different building they do that's right (laughs) And, and we had we had one. I will. I'm not going to name the company. We're like, okay, we're going to do this, but we have IP in the core business, and so we're going to need to build a uh, a wall and a and a key lock door between the two. So I'm like, well, wait, wait, how, like, but <laughs> right. so you have to like get into the innovation area. You have <laughs> right. to like punch in your number and give your buy. What are you talking about, right? Totally, I was like, we shouldn't even do this. It's like okay. entrepreneurial spirit is behind that door. <laughs> exactly. Like you can go like look in the window. It's like, right. oh, they're in there. <laughs> they're in there doing that. Yeah. Okay. The other, which is which is a lot harder, is really organizational change to be more entrepreneurial. And the ways I've seen this work effectively um, has been, you know, it's it's always top down. Like if if the CEO or the leadership team is is sort of talking entrepreneurially, but all their behaviors are sort of far removed from that unit, it's never going to happen. You have to, it has to be top down and they have to be constantly advocating, you know, they, you know, pulling out the team that, you know, this woman built this new thing that like, she, she sort of like, she, she got around all the, all the tough inner workings of this business, built this thing up and then, and then has changed the company with this new product, like has to constantly put that on a pedestal and see, you know, the company people have to see the leadership and the company constantly bringing the innovation, you know, and entrepreneurial elements to the forefront and, and advocating on their behalf. Um, so that takes, that takes true spirit of leadership and companies that are you know, billions in revenue, um, you know, it, it, the, the installation of that is very difficult at times just because they, they sort of have a, a, a machinery of working. Um, but it's, it's a constant reminder that that's, that's how you get ahead. It's, it's, you have to, it's almost like riding a bike. You have to like constantly pedal and pedal that entrepreneurial sort of mission. If you're going to keep that alive in bigger companies. Well, Dave, 
This was great. Thank you so much for all for all the time, for all the inspiration, for being one of our our uh, our Davids. <laughs> uh, no problem. So you, you probably did. didn't That's have a problem with me. that. <laughs> um, we really appreciate it. Yeah. You, yeah, this it's been was awesome. incredible, Dave. Oh. It, the, the lessons you shared across the businesses you built has been invaluable, and especially as you've evolved some of your thinking or can build upon the experiences. Really helpful. Awesome. Well, you guys, these are great questions. I love talking about this stuff. And, and you know, I think at the at the highest level, like, you know, the workforce is continuing to evolve. People, you know, companies are continuing to change and, um, you know, keeping keeping an eye on the things and thinking about things as they're changing. That's like you, you got to do it if you're going to succeed in today's workforce. Yeah. So I love the question. So thank you for for having me. Thank you, Dave. And for everyone listening, we hope this was as inspiring for you as it was for us. And you're, and you're able to take some of the advice and the strategies and approaches that Dave discussed and apply them to your company or your business. Uh, thank you so much for listening. We appreciate it.